0: Chapter 21 of A Sun at the Front. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording for LibriVox by Mary Lou in New York City. A Sun at the Front by Edith Wharton. Chapter 21 the next time campton saw mrs brant was in his own studio he was preparing one morning to leave the melancholy place when the bell rang and his bun let her in her dress was less frivolous than at mrs talkett's and she wore a densely patterned veil like the ladies in cinema plays when they visit their seducers or their accomplices through the veil, she looked at him agitatedly and said, George is not at Saint Minou. He stared. No, Anderson was there the day before yesterday. Brandt at Saint Minou. Campton felt the blood rush to his temples. What? he the boy's father had not so much as dared to ask for the almost unattainable permission to go into the war zone and this other man who was nothing to george absolutely nothing who had no right whatever to ask for leave to visit him had somehow obtained the priceless favor and instead of passing it on instead of offering at least to share it with the boy's father had sneaked off secretly to feast on the other's lawful privilege how the devil? Campton burst out. Oh, he got a Red Cross mission. It was arranged very suddenly, through a friend. Yes. Well Campton stammered, sitting down lest his legs should fail him, and signing to her to take a chair. Well he was not there, she repeated excitedly. It's what we might have known, since he's changed his address. Then he didn't see him, Campton interrupted the ferocious joy of the discovery, crowding out his wrath and wonder. "'Anderson didn't. No, he wasn't there, I tell you. "'The HQ has been moved?' "'No, it hasn't. Anderson saw one of the officers. "'He said George had been sent on a mission.' "'To another HQ?' "'That's what they said. I don't believe it.' "'What do you believe?' I don't know anderson's sure they told him the truth the officer he saw is a friend of george's and he said george was expected back that very evening campton sat looking at her uncertainly did she dread or did she rather wish to disbelieve the officer's statement where did she hope or fear that george had gone and what were campton's own emotions as confused no doubt as hers and as undefinable THE INSECURITY OF HIS FEELINGS MOVED HIM TO A MOMENTARY COMPASSION FOR HERS, WHICH WERE SURELY PITIABLE, WHATEVER ELSE THEY WERE. THEN A SAVAGE IMPULSE SWEPT AWAY EVERY OTHER, AND HE SAID, WHEREVER GEORGE WAS, BRANT'S VISIT WILL HAVE DONE HIM NO GOOD. SHE GREW PALE. WHAT DO YOU MEAN? I WONDER IT NEVER OCCURRED TO YOU, OR TO YOUR HUSBAND, SINCE HE'S SO SOLICITOUS, CAMPTON WENT ON, PROLONGING HER DISTRESS please tell me what you mean she pleaded with frightened eyes why in god's name couldn't you both let well enough alone didn't you guess why george never asked for leave why i've always advised him not to don't you know that nothing is as likely to get a young fellow into trouble as having his family force their way through to see him use influence seem to ask favors I dare say that's how that fool of a Dolmetsch woman got Isidore killed. No one would have noticed where he was, if she hadn't gone on so about him. They had to send him to the front, finally. And now the chances are— Oh, no, 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 don't say it. She held her hands before her face, as if he had flung something flaming at her. It was I who made Anderson go. Well, Brant ought to have thought of that. I did. He pursued sardonically. Her answer disarmed him. You're his father. I don't mean, he went on hastily, that Brant's not right. Of course there's nothing to be afraid of. I can't imagine why you thought there was. She hung her head. Sometimes when I hear the other women, other mothers, I feel as if our turn might come too. Even at Saint-Minou, a shell might hit the house. Anderson said the artillery fire seemed so near. He made no answer, and she sat silent. "'without apparent thought of leaving. "'Finally,' he said, "'I was just going out.' "'She stood up. "'Oh, yes, that reminds me. "'I came to ask you to come with me.' "'With you?' "'The motor's waiting. You must.' "'She laid her hand on his arm. "'To see Olida, the new clairvoyant. "'Everyone goes to her. "'Everybody who's anxious about anyone. "'Even the scientific people believe in her. "'She's told people the most extraordinary things.' It seems she warned Daisy Dolmetsch, and, well, I'd rather know, she burst out passionately. Campton smiled. She'll tell you that George is back at his desk. Well, then, isn't that worth it? Please don't refuse me. He disengaged himself gently. My poor Julia, go by all means if it will reassure you. Ah, but you've got to come, too. You can't say no madge talkett tells me that if the two nearest go together olida sees so much more clearly especially a father and mother she added hastily as if conscious of the inopportune word nearest after a moment she went on even madame de Trenlay has been daisy dolmetsch met her on the stairs olida told her that her youngest boy from whom she'd had no news for weeks was all right and coming home on leave madame de tranlay didn't know daisy except by sight but she stopped her to tell her only fancy the last person she would have spoken to in ordinary times but she was so excited and happy and two days afterward the boy turned up safe and sound you must come she insisted campton was seized with a sudden deep compassion for all these women groping for a ray of light in the blackness it moved him to think of madame de tranlay's proud figure climbing a clairvoyant stairs i'll come if you want me to he said they drove to the batignol quarter mrs brant's lips were twitching under her veil and as the motor stopped she said childishly i've never been to this kind of place before i should hope not campton rejoined he himself during the russian lady's rule had served an apprenticeship among the soothsayers and come away disgusted with the hours wasted in their company. He suddenly remembered the Spanish girl in the little white house near the railway, who had told his fortune in the hot afternoons with cards and olive stones, and had found by irrefutable signs that he and she would come together again. Well, it was better than this pseudo-scientific humbug, he mused, because it was picturesque and so was she and she believed in it mrs brandt rang and campton followed her into a narrow hall a servant-woman showed them into a salon which was as commonplace as a doctor's waiting-room on the mantelpiece were vases of pampas grass and a stuffed monkey swung from the electrolier evidently madame olida was superior to the class of fortune-tellers who prepare a special stage-setting, and no astrologer's robe or witch's kitchen was to be feared. The maid led them across a plain dining-room into an inner room. The shutters were partly closed and the blinds down. A voluminous woman in loose black rose from a sofa. Gold earrings gleamed under her oiled black hair and suddenly through the billows of flesh and behind the large pale mask campton recognized the spanish girl who used to read his fortune in the house by the railway her eyes rested a moment on mrs brant then they met his with the same heavy stare but he noticed that her hands which were small and fat trembled a little as she pointed to two chairs sit down please she said in a low, rough voice, speaking in French. The door opened again, and a young man with Levantine eyes and a showy necktie looked in. She said sharply, "'No,' and he disappeared. Campton noticed that a large emerald flashed on his manicured hand. Madame Olida continued to look at her visitors. Mrs. Brandt wiped her dry lips and stammered, "'We're his parents, a son at the front.' madame olida fell back in a trance-like attitude let her lids droop over her magnificent eyes and rested her head against a soiled sofa-pillow presently she held out both hands you are his parents yes give me each a hand please as her cushioned palm touched campton's he thought he felt a tremor of recognition and saw in the half-light the tremor communicate itself to her lids He grasped her hand firmly, and she lifted her eyes, looked straight into his with her heavy, velvety stare, and said, You should hold my hand more loosely. The currents must not be compressed. She turned her palm upward, so that his fingertips rested on it, as if on a keyboard. He noticed that she did not do the same with the hand she had placed in Mrs. Brant's suddenly he remembered that one sultry noon lying under the olives she had taught him by signals tapped on his own knee how to say what he chose to her without her brothers knowing it he looked at the huge woman seeking the curve of the bowed upper lip on which what used to be a faint blue shadow had now become a line as thick as her eyebrows and recalling how her laugh used to lift the lip above her little round teeth while she threw back her head showing the agnus dei in her neck now her mouth was like a withered flower and in a crease of her neck a string of pearls was embedded take hands please she commanded julia gave campton her ungloved hand and he sat between the two women you are the parents you want news of your son ah like so many madame olida closed her eyes again to know where he is whereabouts that is what we want mrs brant whispered madame olida sat as if laboring with difficult visions the noises of the street came faintly through the closed windows and a smell of garlic and cheap scent oppressed campton's lungs and awakened old associations with a final effort of memory he fixed his eyes on the clairvoyant's darkened mask and tapped her palm once or twice she neither stirred nor looked at him i see i see she began in the consecrated phrase a veil a thick veil of smoke between me and a face which is young and fair with a short nose and reddish hair thick 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 exactly like this gentleman's when he was young mrs brant's hand trembled in campton's it's true she whispered before your hair turned gray it used to be as red as georgie's the veil grows denser there are awful noises there's a face with blood but not that first face this is a very young man as innocent as when he was born with blue eyes like flax flowers but blood blood why do i see that face ah now it is on a hospital pillow not your son's face the other there is no one near no one but some german soldiers laughing and drinking the lips move the hands are stretched out in agony but no one notices it is a face that has something to say to the gentleman not to you madame the uniform is different is it an english uniform ah now the face turns gray the eyes shut there is foam on the lips now it is gone there's another man's head on the pillow now now your son's face comes back but not near those others the smoke has cleared i see a desk and papers your son is writing oh gasped mrs brandt if you squeeze my hands you arrest the current Madame olida reminded her there was another interval Campton felt his wife's fingers beating between his like trapped birds the heat and darkness oppressed him beads of sweat came out on his forehead did the woman really see things and was that face with the blood on it Benny Upshur's Madame Olida droned on it is your son who is writing the young man with the very thick hair he is writing to you trying to explain something perhaps you have hoped to see him lately that is it he is telling you why it could not be he is sitting quietly in a room there is no smoke she released mrs brant's hand and campton's go home madame you are fortunate perhaps his letter will reach you tomorrow mrs brant stood up sobbing she found her gold bag and pushed it toward campton he had been feeling in his own pocket for money but as he drew it forth madame olida put back his hand no i am superstitious it's so seldom that i can give good news bonjour madame bonjour monsieur i commend your son to the blessed virgin and to all the saints and angels campton put julia into the motor she was still crying but her tears were radiant isn't she wonderful didn't you see how she seemed to recognize george there's no mistaking his hair how could she have known what it was like Don't think me foolish. I feel so comforted. Of course, you'll hear from him tomorrow, Campton said. He was touched by her maternal passion, and ashamed of having allowed her so small a share in his jealous worship of his son. He walked away thinking of the young man dying in a German hospital, and of the other man's face succeeding his on the pillow. End of chapter 21